Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up, Inspiring Health Stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TB Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guest, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Go ahead, hit subscribe on YouTube, turn on those notifications, and connect with me on LinkedIn because I'd love to stay connected with you. Now, today you are going to meet Chris Ratcliffe, and he's a fellow cane. You know I love my canes on this show. But he went from living that corporate, fast-paced life in New York City working for People magazine to laid off. And at that time, he was forced to look at his own life, which direction he wanted to take his career, but more importantly, heal his past traumas. So now he is an author and a relationship coach, helping his clients do the same in their lives, living healthier and happier. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. All right, well, today I'm so excited to be joined by Chris Ratcliffe, who is an author and also a coach, which we're going to dive into a lot more today on the show. But I have to mention, he's also a cane. <laughs> Go canes, because you know I love to have my canes on the show, because it's all about the you. <laughs> and we cross paths, apparently, at some point, probably, since we were there at the same time. Absolutely, small world. <laughs> So hi, Chris, tell us a little bit about you. Hi, so I went to the University of Miami. I graduated in 2009, studied advertising and psychology, made my way to New York to pursue a career in magazines, um, ended up you know, landing on the sort of social media strategy side of things, ran social media for men's health, women's health, Entertainment Weekly, People, and then in 2017 got laid off as many people do in the news industry um, in a restructuring. And that was sort of a, a big moment for me. In 2017, I was 30 years old, trying to find my way forward, felt like I had peaked. How much bigger can it get than people, right? So I felt like, what am I gonna do now? <laughs> and so it sort of begged the question of a lot of big life questions. Why am I here? What is my purpose? How do I want to make an impact? You got laid off in 2017 when you were 30. I got laid off in 2018 when I was 30. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, so we were kind of on the same path. of, And I was very, um, I, I wouldn't say I was maybe where you were at as far as feeling like I had peaked, but I was happy where I was. And I had, I saw a lot of opportunities for growth there. And I was just hit by total surprise getting laid off at 30 and being like, what? I didn't right. think this could happen to me yeah. and I didn't have a plan for this. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Were a lot of people do not and they don't see it coming and it's, it can be a, a blindsiding event, you know, and I think, and we'll get into talking about the book, but the sort of the most used word in the book is change. Mm. And ultimately I, it's sort of a thesis about how I believe 
our relationship with change and the things that shift in our lives, whether it's big or small, determines the relationship that we have with, with life as a general force and with our own happiness. Mm-hmm. So when something big like that happens, it can be a huge wake up call and it's an opportunity. But so often we disempower ourselves and we say, why me? Why did this have to happen? Trying to sort of make sense of what is a universal phenomenon. Change. It's really the universal law of life. Right. It's the only constant. The only constant is change, right? No, that's absolutely true. So I want to understand. So you were working in magazines, mainly social media strategy, um, and your degree at UM was in advertising. So when you were in the business, how did you feel? Did you let you mentioned, you know, being at people and that you had peaked like at that point in your career? Were you loving it? I was loving it, but my relationship with my job was so unhealthy. I I was working from the second I woke up to the second I went to bed for basically four years. I had a team of at one point, 10 people that reported to me. Wow. I had gotten so sort of far removed from the doing that I felt a little out of touch. Um, And all of this growth sort of happened very quickly and I just felt very burnt out. I know a lot of people can relate to that, uh, especially pre-pandemic. You know, with with the pandemic, I think it's, again, been sort of a wake-up call for people in terms of what matters and really making the most of life and looking at family and friends and your relationship with yourself and your loved ones, significant other, and, you know, really honing in on that. But I didn't really have any of that. I didn't have time for any of it. And I was content with that. Mm. Truthfully, I was. I loved it. I was obsessed with my job. I loved going to the Grammys and the Emmys. I loved the parties. I loved the red carpets. But at the end of the day, it was deeply unhealthy for me. And when I got laid off, it was one of those moments where I had to look at myself in the mirror and say to myself, you can't keep doing this. It's unsustainable. Mm. Your identity is wrapped up in your job. Mm-hmm. And our identity needs to come from within, from ourselves. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you are disposable. Someone can replace you. You are not untouchable. And someone else who's younger and less expensive than you can come along and take your place. In the news industry in particular, that's very mm. common. Yes. And, <laughs> you know, with all the restructurings and mergers and everything happening in that sphere, it just it's it's going to become increasingly common and it already is right absolutely so you're 30 this happened um it doesn't sound like at the time you realized you had an unhealthy relationship with work but it forced you to take a look at that so tell me about the journey in those like weeks and months after getting laid off and what that looked like oh my goodness it was a it was a tough few months yeah I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. I, I I did get severance and I did have some savings. So it was an emotional reckoning in a lot of ways for me. I was depressed in some ways, excited in others. I was holding a lot of emotions at the time. You know, there's a certain amount of inadequacy that you experience when you get laid off. You naturally yeah. question your abilities. You wonder if there's something wrong with you. It's like going through a breakup. Right. You know, you you naturally ask yourself the same thing. 
is there something wrong with me? What could I have done better? Is there anything I, I, I did wrong? So there's shame and guilt and all these emotions. And it took me a lot of time to unpack that. Since I was young, I, I've written poetry and sort of journaled and free wrote a lot to process my emotions. Having been through a considerable amount of traumatic experiences in my childhood, it was one way that I could process um, through metaphors and sort of uh, comparisons and similes and sort of understanding the world without uh, having the tools to really cope with what happened. And so that's what I did. I started writing, uh, asking myself questions and just letting it out. And in doing that, and I talk about this in It's Good to See Me Again, my book, in, in that case, it's sort of meta, because I arrived at the conclusion that I wanted to write. I, I, I mm. looked at my life and I looked at the moments where I felt most fulfilled. And I realized that it was when I was sharing stories from my personal life. It wasn't when I was, you know, sharing exclusive first looks at movies and right. TV shows and, you know, talking about celebrity breakups and things like that. It was actually talking about some of the most hurtful things that I had been through mm. and the messages I would get and the engagement it would get on my personal social media. You know, I have, oh. <laughs> I don't know, 2000 friends on Facebook, which some people might think is a lot. You can have up to 5,000 and it would get five, 600, 700 likes when I would talk about losing my mom at 18 years old. Uh, some of the struggles I had with that and letting her go over the years. And I would have people reach out to me for weeks afterwards talking about your post was so beautifully written and it really touched me. It reminded of me of when I lost my grandfather or my grandmother or my mother or my father, or my brother. And I realized we've all experienced loss. We've all experienced trauma but under a bigger umbrella, we've all experienced change. And it sort of was the beginning of the book sort of coalescing and coming together. It took me about three years to write the book actually um, in my spare time on top mm -hmm. of eventually getting a job and maintaining that. Um, I ended up in the healthcare space doing social media strategy. But it was that summer where I was holding a lot of different emotions and trying to process everything that the seeds were planted for a sort of four year long journey that brought me to today. Wow, wonderful. Um, so much that you said I wanna ask about. So you're writing this book, um, you mentioned that you, it sounds like you go back and get an act, you get a job in healthcare. Yes. So at what point after getting laid off did did that happen? It took about five months. Five months, um, okay. And I, I ran out of severance. I was almost out of savings. It was sort of divine timing, if you will. Yeah. And uh, an old colleague of mine contacted me and she had just joined the company and was hiring a team, wanted someone dedicated uh, to reacting and managing sort of the community uh, processing customer service, listening, doing all the sorts of things that I had done in the magazine world. And it represented a shift in my life towards work-life balance, towards taking care of me. 
I have this conversation a lot with especially those who come from the news or similar industry that's that kind of high powered burnout you know your your life is your job kind of thing and it's just like repeating a lot of saying a lot a lot of the same things you're just saying as far as hey you know I didn't I no longer wanted to keep up this like I had it all together I, I just wanted to scale back my life and just live more peacefully spend more time with my family like whatever those things are but I'm sitting here thinking of like everyone who still is in the industry like is there anyone that is there that can say like wouldn't everybody in the business not have it together like we all are i on this podcast i just talk about a lot about kind of finding i won't say balance because i don't know that that's necessarily possible but just more taking care of yourself more health happiness wellness the importance in that but i just look at certain industry even you know if it's emergency medicine right or um those career paths that require you to always be on is it possible to attain this life that you're talking about if you are still there and still in it because the world still needs people in it (laughs) absolutely yes self-care doesn't have to look like big grandiose gestures it's actually a very small moments each day that add up over time. It's about ritual and habits. You know, the most successful, busy people in the world, CEOs, people on boards, they make time for journaling, uh, spinning or running or whatever, maintaining a sort of approach of mind-body connection and maintaining that because they recognize the value that it brings to their work. And so no matter how busy you are, if you're listening to this and you are in a grueling profession (laughs) and you don't know how to take care of yourself, I'm gonna challenge you because you actually do. You know exactly what you need to do and you're not doing it. You don't make the time for it because you leave it to the end of your list. It comes Mm. last. It is something you get to if and when you have time. We all know there's never enough time. You have to make it a priority. Mm. You have to recognize that you play a role in this. And you, if you want to maintain your professional life and stay in, in these industries that are grueling and require a lot of you, you have to fill your cup back up. Whatever that looks like for you, it has to do with sleep. It has to do with what you eat. It has to do with hydrating yourself. Your body is 70% water. If you're not drinking enough water, these are small things that add up. And these are actually things I have my clients do now as a coach for people with an anxious attachment style because they often put other people on the pedestal. Their focus is their relationship. Whereas what we're talking about here is the focus being your job, but the intent is the same. Right. The dynamic is the same. Right. So you must prioritize that aspect of your life and make it a daily ritual. The first thing that comes to mind is just like, it sounds like you are naturally a storyteller. And through this journey, <laughs> you, you, right? Because you, you're sharing and just being so open as well. I think part of storytelling, um, and I talk about this a lot, is just the willingness to be open and vulnerable um, so that you can build those connections. You could tell stories about 
a lot of different things. But when you open yourself up and are able to be vulnerable and share your own stories is really what opens the door for others to do the same and connect with you. So it sounds like that's where it started with you sharing some of those personal stories on on Facebook. And that's why you got such the the response that you did. I, I think you're right. Ultimately, I didn't know it at the time when I was doing those things. I felt the need to share because it's just been such a deep need for me to feel connected. And especially going through those big shifts in my life where, you know, my parents divorced when I was two and trigger warning for people, if you've experienced sexual abuse, I'm about to talk about this. So pause or fast forward if that's you. I was sexually abused by my own sister at five years old. I write about this in the book. Part of the book is forgiving and coming to a place of processing all the emotions of all of these events. My dad moved me closer to my mom. She had remarried. We were living in Maryland and I was seeing her two to three times a month up until about the age of eight. And then she moved away to Florida, a thousand miles away. It became a plane ride instead of, you know, sharing custody. And so I was devastated. It was an abandonment wound. I didn't know this at the time, but I was stuck in this cycle for 10 years from the age of eight to 18 of going to visit her on spring breaks and every other Christmas and every other Thanksgiving. And obviously during summers uh, in between you know, school years, but it was deeply hurtful. Mm. And I would be distraught when I would come back to Baltimore after visiting her. And she unfortunately passed away when I was 18. She was an alcoholic and it, her addiction consumed her. Throughout my 20s, I ended up in long distance relationships with guys that mirrored that relationship I had with her. I didn't know any of this was connected at the time, but around the time I turned 25 was really when I realized the rubber isn't meeting the pavement here. There's something wrong and I need to own up to the fact that I'm the common denominator in all of my experiences. And that's when I started seeking therapy and self-reflecting even more. I write about this in the book in a chapter called The Validation Detox. I've been dating and dating and dating and going mm. out, living in New York, living this fast paced life. I had no time to myself. Self-care, who is she? I didn't know her. <laughs> and uh, I needed to pair my life back. So I started carving out two nights a week minimum for myself, no matter what. I would have those two nights. They're weeknights in addition to weekends. I started uh, meditating. I started journaling more, going to the gym financial goals. I had them for the first time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, ultimately I had to look at myself and say, what's going on here and why is it happening and where is it coming from? But having been through all the experiences that I did, I also came out of the closet at 14 years old. There were just a lot of things that happened along the way that felt like out of my control. They weren't necessarily about me. Mm -hmm. But that didn't necessarily make it any easier. I felt powerless. I felt like I had no choice. And there was a lot of processing that had to come with that. Mm -hmm. And so for folks who are listening to this episode and 
saying, well, yeah, I've been through this breakup and have had a long journey and lost someone. And these things resonate with other people and you shouldn't hide them away. And when I got laid off and realized that and looked back and saw the common denominator in me sharing about my mom, it made me realize if I tell my story, my truth, no matter how many people read it, even if it just impacts one life, right? how I found healing, how I was able to let go and forgive, how I found peace, these things are not necessarily things that were taught especially if you grow up in an environment where you know things are a bit chaotic or your parents don't have a super functional relationship maybe it's not really healthy you need to seek tools and learn skills and there's nothing wrong with doing that with a therapist or a coach or on your own or reading self-help books or taking courses or workshops and I think we're seeing now in our culture a very mm. uh, swift shift towards taking care of ourselves because we realize that giving everything to a job, giving everything to a relationship, giving everything to a friend, you can't give it all. You can't because right. you lose yourself. And that's why the title of the book is It's Good to See Me Again. Mm. Self-rediscovery is about uncovering the you that you have projected onto other people, the power that you've given up to choose, to accept, to heal, to process, to realize that you play a role in all of this accountability. Right, right. And it starts with realizing that there's no shame in what you experience in that breakup or that divorce or that loss or that diagnosis. There are others out there who can relate to that and many more people than you would realize. No, absolutely. It starts with your truth. And I know we've been talking a lot about the book. So just to kind of reiterate, It's Good to See Me Again is your book. You are also a relationship coach. So I'm curious as to how it sounds like you going through your own healing process um, transformed into you helping others and coaching others. Great question. In writing the book, I, I did it because I felt compelled to do it. And in getting laid off and sort of figuring out my greater life journey, my ultimate passion, what would make me feel fulfilled. I realized I want to help people. I want to take all of this stuff that has happened to me and use it for good. I I don't want to just post selfies on Instagram and use social media as a tool for vanity. And if you are dissatisfied with social media, as many people are, because it's a it's typically a very shallow projection of what we want people to see about us then do what i did which is start using it more authentically start talking Mm -hmm. about deeper topics start finding a different audience it this happened slowly for me it wasn't like a flip the switch overnight like we're going from posting vacation photos to talking about attachment styles right 
but it was a slow burn over time where I realized what is the value I bring to the table? What are, what are the experiences that I've been through that I feel like can have an impact where I can speak authentically, where people can learn from me and what I've learned. And so over time, you know, as I started diving deeper into attachment theory, I learned a lot about myself and that was deeply healing for me, knowing that those patterns in my dating life that mirrored what I had experienced with my mom and in my family dynamic was critical to realizing that I'm not needy, I'm not clingy, just because I need reassurance or have anxiety in relationships, it doesn't make me a bad person. Right. And for many people, they don't know about attachment theory or attachment styles. And if you feel like you need a lot of space and a lot of autonomy in a relationship, and you get overwhelmed by emotional intimacy and you back away and you don't know how to communicate with your partner that you need that space, you may have an avoidant attachment style. There's no shame in this, but if you get anxious and need that reassurance and that closeness, if you feel like your partner's gonna leave you all the time or cheat on you, you may have an anxious attachment style and labels are limiting and attachment is a spectrum. Right. So you can be part secure, part anxious. You can be mm -hmm. part avoidant, part anxious, part avoidant, part secure. But it's not about that. It's about understanding and self-awareness. Right. That's where healing begins. And as I looked more clearly at my own life and my own behavior over the course of the last 10 to 15 years since my mom's death, it became clear that there were direct correlations between mm. what happened and why I was behaving the way that I was between the wound and the attempt to heal that wound in romantic relationships. It's mm. not your fault that you experienced it, but right. it is your responsibility to heal and to take steps to do that. And as I began to do that more, I realized there's value here for other people. And the impact that I can have on the world rests in this truth, these tools that I discovered. I eventually lost my sister, the same one that I experienced sexually abuse with, sexual so abuse with as well, to addiction. And there were addictive patterns in my own life, in my dating life, in wow. uh, the way that I was using sex throughout my 20s, the way mm -hmm. that I was using alcohol. And I had to sober up to the reality that if I didn't check some of those behaviors, I could end up like my mom and my sister in the grave instead of using these tools to help other people. So I decided enough is enough. It has to stop somewhere. This generational wow. trauma cannot keep getting passed on. My mom's mom before her was an alcoholic and died before I was born. The, de the current working definition of trauma is anything that overwhelms your ability to cope. Mm -hmm. And so finding tools and healthy ways of coping instead of numbing with substances and through sex, avoiding or rep repressing emotions through binge watching TV or mm -hmm. constantly hanging out with other people, which can be mm -hmm. a coping mechanism to not have to deal with your own emotions. 
right. learning about these patterns of how you behave and how you deal with difficult emotions and process them can help you to realize that you do need space and time to yourself. Time alone does not heal all wounds. Please don't believe that misconception. Mm -hmm. If that were true, you would have already healed from every hurtful thing you've been through. So many of us carry around the baggage and weight of the past with us. You have to actively shed it and actively let it go. Mm -hmm. These are things that I talk about in the book. It's good to see me again. How did I forgive my sister for touching me inappropriately when I was five years old and she was 14? Wow. That was deeply hurtful. And I repressed that memory until she passed away. And then those emotions came flooding back and I had to deal with them. I was angry. And I talk about how I I was able to forgive. So many people don't know how to get there and what forgiveness really means. Mm -hmm. It's not forgetting. It's not condoning the behavior of the other person. In fact, it's the opposite. It's saying there is no need for blame. There is no need for attaching yourself and your identity to this one event that happened to you. You can let go. You have the ability to, to learn what you can, to change your frame of reference Hmm. to these events. How did that, so you're writing the book over these, what, three to four years. um, And then how did that start to form into your coaching business? Yeah, I... It came out in July 2020, around the midpoint, like mid-year in 2019 is when I started coaching clients. Um, At first, it was sort of just a session-by-session type approach with some folks as I was trying to, you know, dip my toes in the water and figure out what coaching really was all about. But it wasn't really until late 2020, early 2021, this year, where my coaching business really took off because I started a program, I built a program to address helping people with an anxious attachment style grow more secure in themselves and learn key skills like how to build self-worth, how to effectively communicate without pushing your, your partner away. And so sort of providing them with this sphere of support beyond just putting out fires session by session really started to help people get a lot more value out of their work with me. And I started posting on TikTok about attachment styles. Um, I've always been obsessed with music. It's been a way for me to process. Uh, Even since I was a little kid, I've known all the lyrics to all the songs on the radio. Friends have called me a human jukebox through the years. Um, Because the second that first note hits, I'm like, ah. Yep. All right, let's go. <laughs> so um, I don't know what, what, what inspired me, but maybe it was just sort of my life experiences where I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to unpack the lyrics of popular songs through the lens of attachment styles? Because Ooh. so many popular songs are deeply unhealthy and represent insecure <laughs> attachment, like anxious or avoidant. They do. They do. I started noticing that myself. I'm like, this song is not helping. Not helping. No. No, I'd die for you. Right. Um, You're the only one I'll ever love. Justin Bieber. (laughs) Popular music in particular perpetuates these ideas. 
And so as I started posting about this, literally the third video I did on TikTok took off, got a hundred thousand views. And then my background in social media, I knew yes. what to do yes. with that. And so I started posting more and more and more. I would wake up early and I would post five times a day on TikTok and a lot of them took off. And all of this was blowing my mind and all of it happened overnight. And I started amassing a lot of followers and having people reaching out to me. Thankfully, I had, I had built the program, right? but it was very <laughs> new. And so I started landing clients left and right. And then I just ultimately had to leave corporate America because I couldn't sustain it. And this is what I wanted to do anyway. So it became my full-time job and I started my company and now this is what I'm focused on. And, you know, it's been a deeply healing part of my journey too. What I love about your story is also like where you are now sounds like the perfect marriage, no pun intended there, of, <laughs> of your experience as in social media in your past career and your interest and your purpose now and how you've been able to make the two work together and just grow this business as well. <sighs> it's, I'm deeply grateful for it. I don't push any particular religion. I do believe in a higher power. The book, as it progresses, becomes more spiritual. The idea that we're all connected, the idea that a higher force of good is guiding us at any given time. The more I relinquish my expectations and allow myself to be used as an instrument of love and light, the more fulfilling my life becomes, the happier I become. And just letting go and leaping and taking risks, bigger and bigger risks, putting myself out there, it's been rewarding. I've been rewarded every time, every time. I self-published my book. I was shopping around my book proposal to literary agents. And you know what the feedback from them was? What? We don't think you have enough followers to sell enough books. At the end of the day, a, a, an agent is a broker. They broker the deal with the traditional publisher. They take a 15% cut, that's industry standard. But if they don't think the deal is worthwhile or the publisher is gonna sell enough copies, they're not gonna sell it. Right. So at the end of the day, that was pretty defeating for me, but I didn't give up. I always believed in myself. I believed if I spoke my truth, if I really was deeply vulnerable and talked about some very hurtful things and mm. more specifically how I got to a better place, mm -hmm. that it would find an audience that friends would tell friends that, because that's how the world works and the world right. is much smaller than we realize. Looking now at the 75,000 followers I have on TikTok, the audience they said I never would have, It's humbling. I laugh at those agents. Look at what they missed right. out on. Right. Look, look at that. And now my book is doing better than ever over a year after it's come out. I had moments of doubt. I had moments of fear, but I pushed through them and I did it anyway. I believed that the power of my truth, the power of vulnerability would find people who needed the message. You don't have to be a best-selling author to make an impact on the world. Okay, you don't have to be 
a number one blogger or have a top 10 website in the United States or something like that to have an right. impact on the world. People need to hear that if you have a gift, you must share it with the world. And there will be people who doubt you, but there will be many people who doubt you and maybe even criticize you. Do not let yourself be one of them, please. Mm -hmm. Believe in your talents and your gifts, hone them, start imperfectly and messily. Right. It doesn't have to be super buttoned up. It doesn't have to be some sort of perfect offering. Right. Life is inherently messy. You're messy. Be messy. Offer that up. People appreciate that authenticity more mm -hmm. than you know. I love this. This has been like, this has been so insightful, motivational, inspiring, and just awesome to have this conversation. Can you share with everyone where to find the book, where to connect with you, the TikToks, all the things so we can make yeah. sure we follow you? <laughs> of course. Yes. So my name is Chris Ratcliffe, and I talk about this on the first page of my book. My nickname ever since I can remember has been Crack Life because C <laughs> Ratcliffe looks like Crack Life with two Fs. <laughs> so people can find me at, at Crack Life with two Fs. <laughs> all over social media on Instagram and TikTok are where I'm most active. Um, you can also find me at cracklife.com with two Fs. I have a ton of free blogs and resources for people there that can help. It's a good place to start. You have nothing to lose, right? Absolutely. Now, my book is on Amazon. Now there's a paperback version, an ebook version. If you don't want to wait for the two-day shipping, <laughs> um, but it's only available on Amazon because I did self-publish through Amazon. So you'll awesome. have to find it there. It's called, it's good to see me again, how to find your way when you feel lost. So that's how people can find me. And, you know, I just want to end by saying that one, you're not alone. There are other people out there who want to hear from you and want to know that you're hurting. Two, you don't have to process or heal alone. Healing can and should be done through safe relationships. If you don't have any, start with a therapist or a coach. We are more than happy to listen and we will never, ever, ever judge or criticize you. We're here to help, okay? And three, you must take intentional action to let go of the things that are holding you back. It does not come naturally. We do not learn these things in school. And oftentimes it is not modeled through the relationships we had growing up. Seek out the tools and the knowledge that you need to let go and move forward. So many wonderful tips, actionable tips. So I really appreciate that, Chris. This has been honestly one of my favorite conversations. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm grateful. Truly, this conversation with Chris has been one of my favorites. I learned so much from him. And honestly, the way he just delivers his message is inspiring and motivational. Never stop believing in you. I'll never forget that he said others will doubt you, but don't be one of them. So make sure you go below in the show notes and connect with Chris. 
you certainly want to do so. I, I can't wait to follow his TikToks and make sure if you aren't already, you connect with me as well. All of my information is down below as well. I'm all the places, YouTube, that's where you want to hit subscribe. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, where I'd love for you to connect with me as well as Twitter. So make sure you stay connected because we come back each and every week with new episodes and I wouldn't want you to miss out. So until I see you back next week, because I know I'll see you then, stay happy, stay healthy.